Marie, and today with us we have a very special guest, author Nadine Gonzalez. Ma'am, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Thank you so much. So let's just get, I have, we have so many questions, okay? So let's, let's get started. But first, I mean, t- introduce us. How, who are you? Where are you from? Where do you live? Give all of that. Okay, I am Nadine Said Gonzalez. I live in Miami, Florida. It's very hot here right now. Um, I am a lawyer. I write romance. I've been writing for a long time, and I have a little son. I buried him. Have a little son, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we read online. Okay, I like took tons of notes on this because I thought. All of it is so cool. And then now that, you know, I've been following you online, I can see so much of it. So <laughs> it says that you, this is from fantasticfiction.com, <laughs> that you grew up on a steady diet of soap operas, Harlequin romances, pop culture, global music, film, and classic literature. So first and foremost, how did you become a romance reader? And specifically, how were you introduced to Harlequin? Okay. So Harlequin has a worldwide reach. And I think it goes beyond even what they set out in the beginning, like what they intentionally set out to do. Because the little um, category romance books here, the romance, these books are sold in the secondhand market over and over again. And they reached me when I was growing up in Haiti. And they were, they weren't the Desire or any of the other lines. They were the original Harlequin Presents, right? And they were several decades old and they were, you know, the craziest, most problematic alpha male romances ever, but they were excessively popular. Everyone read, it was a common form of entertainment. Everyone was reading a Harlequin romance. And I think like for me, it's very strange. I think I spent like three years of my life, like like 14, 15, and 16, just devouring one romance after the other. And it's almost as if I was preparing for now, but without knowing it. I got in yeah. trouble with my parents. I have very strict <laughs> Catholic parents who thought, you know, why are you reading about love? Why are you reading about guys, you know? And I got in trouble at school for like reading in class, but that's what I was doing. Yeah. I love it. Okay. Okay. So the next part, pop culture, what was one of your favorite pieces of pop culture history? Was there a certain celebrity or musical group that you love to follow? Like what pop culture stuff did you find cool? I found the, you know, um, I will always remember a Michael Jackson thriller because, you know, I just saw him and that's not, that's not an experience unique to me. I saw him moonwalking on television one day and I think I was like, what is this? So uh, (laughs) Uh, that is a bit of pop culture history that's cemented in my mind. Michael Jackson and Prince with Purple Rain that I was just completely devoted to. I had the Prince poster on the wall, but it was very specific to that time. Like it was just Purple Rain. Like I know after he passed away, people were telling, like friends would say, you know, I'm a hardcore fan. I love love this song. And I, I knew nothing. I knew none of the other songs except 
but that purpose is not very specific. And then as an older person, I got into, I have a bunch of stuff here for like to show, but I got into Sex in the City, like hard for Sex in the City fan. <laughs> this is only for the nerdy Sex in the City fan. This is like a book a, that they put, a picture book that they put out when the, when the show ended. And I bought it like at a TJ Maxx for like $5 or something. <laughs> <laughs> And it's just that I love that show. The show um, changed how I saw myself. It changed, I think, for like before the show, there was this a lot of focus on you have to get married and you have to have a child and you know move to the suburbs, get your life together. And the show just showed no older women could just have an alternative lifestyle that has nothing to do with childbearing or conforming or you know. Or anything, and you could still have fun. You could yeah, hang out I with just, your friends and have fun. I just did my first ever watch through of the show. I literally oh, yeah? just finished season six um, Sunday, and <laughs> I've been oh, like listening God. to podcasts about it. I read this book that somebody wrote, like behind the scenes, Sex in the City. I'll what? have to like. I'll we get the ex- podcast about Sex in the City. Then. I know. <laughs> I gotta send you the title. I have to send it to you. It was so fascinating. But like, yeah, they, I mean, one of the parts of the book that I read, she talked about like there was a real lack of diversity in the show yeah. for sure. But like, if, like any woman could see themselves in one of the girls. Yes. Um, and I was like, yeah, I can see myself in like more than one. Yes, you have like a piece of each. No, the show is not a perfect show. Like we don't, just because we enjoy it doesn't mean we have to say that they did everything correct and right. It's not a perfect show. They didn't have diversity and they, and the show is classist in a way. It really shows the women how they lived in a certain class, but I'm okay with that too, because tell me the truth, like show me the truth. You don't have to give me for perfect people like these women were yeah. classes they were very interested in their new york standing and that's yeah. just how it was i mean charlotte charlotte york got divorced and basically never worked again I know. <laughs> she in a lifestyle she's like i'm a divorcee <laughs> charlotte was like run me that apartment run me that apartment and never worked again <laughs> the apartment alone I, like you have to wonder how much that apartment was worth. Like, <laughs> got an apartment. She was like, "That's it, done." <laughs> who was your Sex in the City man of choice? Like, who uh, was your favorite? I, I'm very, I'm very pure to the idea that it was Carrie and Big. I like Big. I just thought they were the couple. Yeah, I didn't think they were a perfect couple, and but I don't need the couple to be perfect. I just thought. That was the guy that she had been obsessing over all through these so six seasons. And for her to not end up with him would have been kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's an unpopular opinion when I tell people like, I was kind of team big because I knew he was the guy Carrie wanted. And of course he like, he strung her along there for a little bit. But she, you know, you just, we, I think every girl has that at some point in life yes I I don't know like if you could really get through your dating life without having that and if you're if you haven't maybe your dating life's not over like there's you're still alive (laughs) it's probably gonna come around at some point but we're gonna like the guy who even if it was just a micro 
um, Cosmo that. Like maybe in high school, you like the guy who, who strung you along for like three months and you got over yeah. it, but it doesn't have to be a big situation. Yeah. But you know, the feeling, the feeling of, I like this guy and he's not sure that I'm the one for him. And he just keeps leading her on. He did do that. But yeah. as a writer, I think that's interesting. I, yeah. I don't, I, I like a complicated story. I don't, I don't want you to tell me that he was great and she was good and they lived happily ever after. And then that's the story. I don't, yeah. I'm not there for that. I mean, and when that final scene happened, I was like, man, I had to go through Aiden. I had to go through the Russian. I had to go through Jack Berger. But I knew we were going to end up here. Berger, I loved as a writer, like Berger, we know that kind of writer guy who's kind of stuck on one book, kind of pretentious about his writing. Once he's complicated, he's moody. Like, I thought that was, like, a well-drawn character. And in the end, he's, like, he leaves a post-it and he's out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, God, that was the worst. <laughs> Don't hate me. I can't. <laughs> like, that is so lame. Oh, my God. So my favorite, there's so many, like, Sex and the City in terms of writing. Like, this is, like, the, the, the funny story. When I first started watching it in the 90s, I did not have HBO. But HBO cable was very was not very sophisticated. They just scrambled the image, but you had the audio. And okay. so for one season, I, I got it afterwards, but there's this one place <laughs> that I lived that didn't have HBO. And it was just scrambled image and audio. So I would sit on my bed and get out my manicure kit and just give myself a manicure on Sunday nights and listening to HBO as if it were a radio show. And the show stands up without image. I only ever wished I could see the clothes. Like when Carrie was going on and on about a pair of shoes and you yeah. couldn't see it, that was like, oh, but you could <laughs> follow the story. No problem. You were yeah. never lost. And that's because the writing was sharp. Right. Yeah. The writing was sharp. Oh, it was so good. Yeah. The writing was <laughs> I, sharp. I do like there were times <laughs> where I was like, I'm so annoyed by Carrie. She's a horrible friend. Yeah, I felt okay. like I feel like they did Stanford so wrong, like throughout the entire show. Oh, I just am yeah. like, we could have gave Stan Stanford deserves so much more. Big was like, I was team big, but big didn't really have a big presence in the show. No, the he just kind of, because he was working on what Law and Order SVU. Where else did he work? He had another job. <laughs> so he was always guest starring Chris North, North, if you see in the beginning. So he'll just show up, do a scene, and then it was like, okay, gotta go back. <laughs> yeah. <good> job. <laughs> so, yeah, he didn't. Um, I think my friend and I would be like, oh my God, we'd get excited if in the show the credits said that Big was going to be there. He was going to be there. Yeah, me too. I always looked. Yeah. Because if he was guest starring in the show, it was like the first person yeah, they put up. Because for the, during the Russians episodes, it was always his name first. Oh. And then I was like, finally, Big's back in an episode. I know. Give it back, Big. I, the Russian was a bridge too far. Like, no. Oh, I, yeah. I, I, it was I, awful. I, there was like no chemistry between I, those two. And. Miranda was so right. Like, Carrie, you're living in a fantasy. I was yeah. like, tell her again. Yeah. <laughs> you're going to Paris with this guy who who just wants, like, a pretty person to hang on to his arm. That's all he really wanted. 
Yeah. So tell us about your love of classic literature. How did you get into that? And who are some of your favorite classic authors? Okay. So my dad, my dad is a very interesting person. He sort of grew up in quasi poverty. Like he was poor and I saw the house that he grew up in, but the family was just a normal tight family with, um, you know, of humble origins. They wouldn't classify themselves as poor, but I saw the house. I was like, wait a minute, all of you <laughs> lived in this house. <laughs> and so, but so of humble origins. So he kind of climbed out of where he started through school and getting an education. So he was like big on that and big yeah. on reading. And um, so much so um, that he would push like these books on us and stuff and say like, you can't say that you're educated if you haven't read these authors, you know, the, the Russians, the whatever. And of course, no, I, no one listens to their father. I, I certainly did it. Like, yeah, 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 whatever. Sure I'm fine. I'm listening to Prince. <laughs> and so, um, but then one day I have an older cousin who was way older, but you know, the type of girl that I sort of, certainly admire, she was sharp and sophisticated and she studied in France and she was like trendy and all the things. And one day I went to visit her, my, my mother went to visit with her mother and I was just hanging out and watching all my children on television, <laughs> right? I was watching all my children. <laughs> We haven't even touched on your love of soap operas. So I was watching Phoebe, a scene with Phoebe and some other woman. I forgot her name. And um, she, my cousin, walks up to me and she's like, "What is this? This is like ridiculous. What are they even talking about?" And and then she says, "You start to, you need to read like better books." I don't agree with her. Like now, as I'm practically her age, I don't agree with her. I understand. I think that there was this hysteria back in the day like if you like pop culture you're gonna lose iq points if you read a romance novel you're gonna fail your sats like no it's not like that like the brain is your your brain is not limited like that you can just have several loves and several interests and they can on on either side of the scale and that's fine right But for them, it was like, no, 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 you're watching my children, your brain is going to deteriorate. And so <laughs> she gave me, before she left, because she, she jetted back to France, and before she left, she gave me, and I have the book here, and I never left it. This is a Gabriel Garcia Marquez book. It's very sm- small, and it's called, in French, it's Chronique d'une mort annoncée, and in the English translation is Chronicles of a Death Foretold. It's a little novella. It is funny because it's about a guy who shows up on an island and there's a plot to kill him. Everyone on the island is aware of the plot to kill him, but no one does anything to stop it. They're like, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. <laughs> this guy's going to die. <laughs> so it, it's ridiculous. And you, I just got a taste of what the, that writing was like. And I think because my cousin, who I respected so much, said it, I was like, oh, I need to start reading better books and blah, blah, blah. And I I did. But honestly, this is the thing with um, uh, people are always recommending you need to read this, you need to read that. 
read what you're interested in, even if it's a classic. Like if you love love stories, just go to the classics and find the love stories that you like. You don't have to be a different person to read the classic. You don't have to read the big war book just if you don't like war. So I think that's just one way. Um, Also, it's good to see how other people use language. Back in the day, they were more formal and language was more important. I think like big sentences and all that, but that expands your vocabulary or my vocabulary. So as as a writer, I, I want that. I also, you don't want, when you're writing, you don't want your books to sound like the next contemporary author's book because you're going to get compared to to your contemporaries anyway. And you don't want to, you want your book to stand out. So I don't want to rely on, the best way to learn how to write is to read, right? So you can't really rely too much on your on your peers, because then you're just going to produce a book that sounds just like them. So it's better to read some other stuff and steal things from there and, <laughs> and shape your writing so you can have your own voice. But so that's is, how. Is that one of your favorites that Gabriel Garcia? Gabriel Garcia Marquez is one of my favorites, but there are others. There's Anais Nin, who wrote like the diaries of Anais Nin. <gasps> I have a collection of like mm-hmm. speeches of hers. And I've, uh, yeah. I've only read Henry and June by her. I have not yes. read the diaries yet. Yes. My friend, one of my girlfriends is like, girl, you need to read the diaries. That's what everybody comes to. Yeah. <laughs> I know. That's it. The diaries. <laughs> I like um, Marguerite Jura, who wrote The Lover. I'm just looking around to see if I have any books. Oh, I have here. that. I have, I have a bind up of The Lover, War Notebooks, and something else. By and, her, but uh, I've only read The Lover so far. Yes. I love The Lover. I feel like like, Yes, here we go, the lover. Um, I feel like there's just use of language is so good. Um, can, can we have breakfast in Tiffany's? Is that <laughs> um, is that a classic? No, I love it. I but, I love. I really do. I I like kind of like the more modern classics. I think yes. more. Yeah. Um, I really do want to read more classics i want to read more i want to read jane austen i want to read the brontes i have not i mean i've read pride and prejudice and i was like okay <laughs> like do you audio do you audiobook i do I okay love so when the jason jane austen was celebrating the 100th they were doing this whole big 100th anniversary i, I maybe of her death I, I think but um it was such a big deal they were promoting her books i I had a Jane Austen thing like you. I was like, yeah, I don't think I have a grasp on Jane Austen. I, I saw a lot of the adaptation movies. Like, that's not the same. So I just went to the library and got her audiobooks for free. The narrators are excellent. Like, they got the best narrators for Jane Austen. They didn't mess around. And they are so interesting and entertaining that I just sort of listened to them back to back. So, yeah. A good way of classics is uh, Gabrielle Garcia. Audio. This year I did Love in the Time of Cholera in audio. I have the book, but I kind of struggled through the book. I just went ahead and listened to the audio to get it in my head. And so this is what I do. Like every year I decide, I put the bar really low so I don't fail. Like I'll read one classic this year. I'll read two maybe. Or if, and, and if you're, if you hit the wall with, 
contemporary like if you can't read one more romance because there comes a time like you read you're happily one two three four and then you're like oh like no book is calling to you you just yeah. can't that's you switch what, it up yeah switch it up and then try to do an audiobook of classic you may not enjoy it like if a reader is trying to just classics are, are not like our modern books that engage you from the first sentence I think like writers today we know that the reader is going to put the book down if they're not entertained from chapter yeah. one. So, but the, the other authors didn't care. They were trying to show how smart they were, how intellectual they were. The, the first quarter of the book can be very boring, but you're not really reading for entertainment at that point. You're kind of just using a different part of your brain. And then you're like, I'm going to read this. I'm going to get something out of it or not. And yeah. if nothing else, I'll learn more about language or character development or something, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think mindset is, is huge when picking mm -hmm. up books that we don't typically always exactly. gravitate to. Like I read years ago, um, a classic mystery lady oddly secret by Mary Elizabeth Braddon. And like, I read it with two friends who read classics all the time. And I was like, mm. Oh God, I'm not going to like this. And I loved it. But I mean, you just have to kind of go in knowing like, instead of like what we read today, like you said, like the authors know I got to get their attention in like the first chapter yes. with classics. It just feels like you have to give it time. You have to go in knowing like, let this build up and then it's going to grab me. Exactly. At some point it's going to grab you and you're, you're going to get lost in it. Or yeah. maybe it's like, it's, it's dense. You can tell the authors are just always trying to show how smart they were, how intellectual they were. Maybe it's like unnecessarily dense, but if the point is just to read it, just get through it and look back to see what did I get out of this? Yeah. You know? Yeah. So another really cool thing about you is that you're writing romance, but mm -hmm. you're balancing that with motherhood and your career as a lawyer. Mm. Has writing always been a passion of yours? And how do you make space for writing with both being a mom and working? Well, growing up, I knew like I wanted to be a writer, but it seemed like a like dream come true. Like you have ambitions and some of them are just like wishful thinking. Some of them you think you can actually work on. But so I wanted to be a writer and I wanted to write big sort of splashy New York time best-selling books. Like I already knew that I wasn't trying to write like the next um, classical um, Nobel prize winning thing. Um, but it didn't seem like that wasn't going to pay rent and that wasn't going to, you know, get my life started. So I was very focused on learning profession and working and being independent that way so that's the sex in the city in you <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> I was like I'm half Miranda half Carrie because when they show <laughs> Carrie just wandering her apartment I'm like how can you afford that apartment and she goes shopping for shoes I'm like those shoes are so expensive like I'm all for shoes but you don't you don't have a job <laughs> like let's be right. clear <laughs> <laughs> we all can't be Charlotte York, okay? That yeah, exactly. Needs a divorce. Exactly. Like, I love your lifestyle. I just, it, the math, it doesn't add up and it's driving me crazy. Like, I can't. The math ain't mathing, okay? Your <laughs> <laughs> closet is worth the hundreds of thousands. And I'm like, but you're writing a column, a weekly right. column in a subpar <laughs> newspaper. 
she had the mouse in her kitchen i was like what is going on we got like a closet full of shoes that cost way more than probably more than my car insurance yes (laughs) and you got a mouse in the kitchen exactly (laughs) where are our priorities The priorities were not uh, completely out of whack. And that was the fanciful part. Like, no, I need the Miranda. I need to know that the paycheck is coming. So, um, so, so so, like, I think there were several times like fork in the road, fork in the road. Do I go to get an MFA or do I go to law school? Like that was a big time for me. And I was like, darn it. So I'll apply to everything. And if I get into an MFA, I'll know. And if I get into law school, which seemed like a long shot too, then I'll know. Well, I didn't get into any MFAs and I got into <laughs> every law school I applied to. And I was like, okay, God, that's I asked for right. a sign. That's the path to being like, right here, Nadine. Yes, girl, one way. <laughs> Don't even think about this. And then when the Great Recession happened in 2008 or 2018, 2008, it just all made sense to me. I was like, oh, okay, this is why. Like, you you need a solid foundation. People with who had built businesses are crumbling, let alone a writing career on yeah. nothing, right? Stability. So, you, you're yes. like, I need to be, I need stability. Yes. And life is very expensive. Like, yeah. say what you want. Life is super expensive. So to cover living, health insurance, car insurance, blah, 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 you know, going on a vacation, maybe that takes a lot more money than I think my writing would, this is not, I'm not Stephen King. Stephen King has another uh, view on this, not Nora Roberts also, but I'm not in their shoes that, so I have to be practical about things. Yeah. Um, I just try to write in the margins. I wake up early now. I wake up early or I stay late and weekends. I prioritize writing. Oh, I cut out like television a lot. Like I don't watch a lot of TV. Um, I watch certain shows. I have certain times to do it, but I'm not like just turn on the TV every night and watching. So I try to at least, if not writing new words, revising. Because if you're tired, you can always just reread what you wrote. And then the next day you'll wake up with fresher ideas. Yeah. So, yeah. So Miami is a setting we've seen so far in your books, and mm-hmm. we know it's near and dear to your heart. It is. <laughs> so what do you love about Miami? Because I was, when I was, when I read Scandal in the VIP suite, I was like, mm-hmm. what is the last book I read that was set in Miami? Ooh, <laughs> like, nice. I'm like, I mean, well, it was, an- it was another one of your books. It was one yeah. of your Kamani romances. And I'm like, this is a city that I don't feel like I see that often in romance novels, mm-hmm. which is so weird because it's Miami. Like, yeah. It's a there, dream it, location. It's a dream location. But there, it does show up a lot, but in very like um, light ways, I'll say, okay, the couple's in Miami and they're at a villa on the sand and, and then That's but it. they could have been anywhere and you yeah. kind of forget that they're in Miami. They're just in a tropical setting. Like, so the city itself, though, um, having the city come alive, like that was also attributed to Sex in the City, where New York was the fifth character, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I like that idea. I like grounding a narrative in a, in a place. So 
like I stole that from them too. And um, I said, okay, the place will be, I don't have firsthand knowledge about New York anymore. I haven't lived there forever, but I live here. And a lot of people dream about coming to Miami, at least visiting for a little bit. Like it's the city that, that people are aware of and are interested in. And it has this crazy diversity um, that you can't really replicate um, anywhere else. It has people from Latin America, the Caribbean, people from New York and New Jersey yeah. <laughs> and Canada <laughs> and European um, European tourists. And they're all in this very, like it's not a very big um, place. So they're all here clashing fighting for space, you know, and um, the big, there's the big glamorous events and then there's the small neighborhoods with distinct personalities. So I thought this is a great place to set romance and I'm just gonna pick this part and go with it. Um, when I told this to my sister, she was like, well, you don't wanna get pigeonholed, you know, you're gonna be just right anywhere. Why do you wanna be pigeonholed? And, um, I was like, no, it's fine. Like, it could be yeah. like you can be specific. Uh, I want to be specific, and that's what I'm doing. And I think that's great because, I mean, there are authors that, like, when I first started reading romance, I started with Debbie Maycomber, and most mm. of her books are Pacific Northwest. Like, yeah. I know going in, it's it might be Seattle, and if it's not Seattle, it's somewhere up there. And it's, yes. I mean, to me, I've never been up there. So, like, when I was reading skittle in the vip suite i was like i've never been to miami and i feel like i'm in miami with this mm, book and I'm i so love glad. it <laughs> yes thank you that's the that's what i'm working with and debbie mccomber is sort of um one of the authors when i made the switch like at first i was just writing general fiction just trying to write general fiction and that wasn't getting anywhere and at some point I had to, you know, reevaluate what I was doing. And I thought, you know, write with your strength and write what you love. And you really do love a good love story. I was always going to write love. It was going to be categorized as fiction with romantic elements. Like if you've heard of that kind of fiction, but it was so hard to sell that to any agent. Yeah. And were you trying to do like women's fiction? Yes. I was trying to do women's fiction with romances weaved in, friends who are, you know, you know, who meet for lunch or something, that that kind of thing. (laughs) You know the drill. Um, I was thinking about Terry McMillan's um, Waiting to Exhale. That was a big influence um, for me, on me too, like four friends, that kind of thing. And it wasn't getting any traction. Some agents said, oh, the time for that has passed. Like there was a heyday for it. It's gone. Like fiction has all these moods and these whims and trends I wasn't aware of. And they were like business aspect of it. No editor is asking for for friends book anymore. And then. um, That's so sad. Right. Like it's ridiculous. (laughs) And also, you know, I have to I have to think that it's like no one's asking for that from. A, a book with diversity in it as well. That's what I was going to ask. Is yeah. it because the, they're women of color? Yes. Is that why yes. they're saying no to this? Yes. I mean, I think that at any point, I mean, I'm not in publishing, so I am like, who am I? And I know like publishing is like, we're getting books now that you all wrote like 
a year or two years ago, right? So they're yeah. like two uh, two years ahead. But like, at what point will a story about women friendships ever not be relevant? I, I don't understand. I know. I would I love know. that book. <laughs> I know. I just I didn't get it when they said it to me, and I'm kind of very naive on that point. I never made the connection that it was because of my characters, and they, I just thought, oh, okay. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe if waiting to exhale is out of style now or whatever, but, and then it took like, it took getting into romance and the conversation in Romancelandia about diversity that it just sort of exploded at that time, at the time that I entered. And then I was like, oh, I, I, I get it now. Like, I get it. I didn't have any other author friends to chat about this stuff. Yeah. Um, oh, I did, but not in that way. Not in that way. And so that's when I realized, like, oh, okay. They, I don't think they wanted diverse, maybe some of them, immig- um, first-generation Americans hanging out and it not being about that. That's yeah. the distinction. You know, like, if they were hanging out, and talking about how difficult it was to be first-generation American, blah, 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 and the struggle and the pain of it, I think they would be more receptive. But if you're just saying, no, here they are, and they're going out to brunch, and then they're going to meet a cute guy, and no, it's just... We're just having fun in this book. Yeah, we're just living (laughs) our lives, people. (laughs) We're just living our lives, and I don't think that was enough of a hook. And, And those are the words that you hear. What's the hook? And... Well, I hope that you like still keep this story in mind and like still one day try to push. Oh, it. yes, exactly. I'm going to read it. Okay. <laughs> okay. Great. <laughs> so in Scandal, mm-hmm. which released in January, right? January? Yes. We follow Nina. She's an author and mm-hmm. Julian, an actor. And yes. their meet cute intel to hotel staff basically giving <laughs> Nina's booked room to Julian because yes. she's a celebrity, which I was like, oh, I. I was so pissed for her. I'm like, oh, so you're just going to give her a room away? <laughs> but Julian chimes in with the idea that we can share. So, okay, what came to you first? Was it Nina and or Julian as characters or was it the hotel mix-up? Like, what kicked it all off? The, I had an idea of writing an actor and I... I got that idea from reading a few books where I thought that actors as heroes were not, you know, were kind of treated with ridicule a little bit. Like, oh, he's wearing makeup, blah, blah, blah. Like the acting profession wasn't, you know, portrayed well. That's just me being a snobby reader. Like I was like, mm, I can do better. So I thought, ooh, that's when I got the idea. I was like, you know what? I would like to because and I think that actors actually take their jobs very seriously and I would yeah. like to do one and do it justice. So the hero came first and then I thought, well, who would he be with? I wanted him to be with someone fame adjacent so she wouldn't fangirl over him. And so Nina's mother is a Broadway actress, so she's sort of jaded. Like, she's not, like, going to fawn over this actor. She She could care less. She could care less. (laughs) And she thinks down on him because, you know, he's not a stage actor. He's just, like, in these big Hollywood shoot-em-ups. So, like, she's not all that impressed. So I thought that would make a good um, pairing. Uh, though when I submitted it to Harlequin, the editor came back and said, 
good, but make it one bed. <laughs> so I was like, oh, so the scramble came. How? Like in the original, they just meet like by the pool area, like two hotel guests. But now they're like, okay, cool. But they have to be in on one bed, one hotel room, make it happen. Let's and, one bed it up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and like, and, and you, if you could do that, you have a deal. And so I was like, I'm going to make it happen. And yeah. I, it, just, it just took, I it kind of panicked. I didn't know how, how do you end up in one hotel room? Like, how does that, it's not, how is that a thing? Right. But I just had to scramble to make it come and people love it. So I, I, I'm thinking like the editors, like trust the editors a little bit. They yeah. kind of know the people always comment on, on that meet cute, which is not something that I organically came up with. Yeah. I mean, because <laughs> there's like nowhere else for her to go. <laughs> They're like, oh, we'll get you a room at this place. We'll call down here. And it's like, everything's booked. <laughs> so I'm like, Julian, the least you can do <laughs> is offer up to share this room with her. Exactly. <laughs> so Nina keeps a journal in the book, which kind of um, plays into other things in the book later on Good are you a journal writer do you write in a journal or like what inspired you to put that in there I used to write in a journal I don't anymore but I used to and I found like some old journals of mine and the funny thing is I guess for the sake of privacy I would never write the names of other people, just their initials or just like a, an initial, you know, and back then I knew who these people, and then I would read it and go, who's P and why am I crying? <laughs> like, I don't even remember. <laughs> but it's so cryptic. I don't remember who, I can't decipher. You like cat. forgot your own code. Yeah. And then I don't even know, like, why was I so emotional over it? <laughs> but, um, so yeah, I thought Nina being a writer and being a, um, I wanted her to write about, um, about her mother. And that would, that would started the rift between her and her mother who, who wanted to be seen as bigger than life and as a movie star, but her, in her book, she's flawed and just, you know, just her regular mother. So, and I thought the way to do that would be for her to have like a journal and like publish her journals. I've seen, I've seen other writers do that. Like, oh, I published my journals from this year to that year. And I thought, okay, that I think maybe if you do write about your life, you, you would write, keep notes and consult your journals. Yeah. And one thing that I really loved was the whole family plot line of Nina's. I mean, it was almost like she assumed like she wouldn't be, she didn't know, like, how am I going to be accepted by this family? And then mm. I remember crying because it was oh. not what she, it wasn't what she expected, you know? <laughs> like, her cut. I think it was her cousin that she met and yeah. she just like, was so welcoming. I was like, you deserve this, Nina. <laughs> yeah, like her cousin who she's suspicious of in the beginning. Yeah. Like, why is she calling and coming around all the time? And I just wanted her cousin to have like really good intentions. Like, no, I, I just I have a cousin out there and I, I want to meet I'm in awe of you. I kind of like intimidated by you and I want to spend some time and 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 um for her to have that there's a Haitian family house party going on when in the book. And then that was very much 
like I don't I'm not trying to overwhelm people with culture uh, uh, cultural aspects of the book it's not like an immigrant I don't write immigrant um literature which is a thing right but I um so for every book though I kind of pick out something that I want to put it in a house party is something that I wanted to to a uh, Miami house where we were just like it was crowding into this townhouse. The house <laughs> smells of food. The guys are outside drinking. Like that, it, like all generations combined. Um, that it was something I deliberately put in because I was like, yeah, that that's a, a thing that yeah. you couldn't. I mean, I say overwhelm us, okay? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> Because, like, reading that, reading those scenes, you know, I I think every time, like, I read a book and I see, you know, just different um, experiences of people of color experiencing joy, I'm like, God, like, I love us. (laughs) And there's, like, like, so much, like, I've only been navigating the world with, like, my experience. And there's Mm -hmm. just so many different ways that we, like, celebrate being happy or, like, getting together and having parties or, you know, Sunday dinners. Like, there's so many different ways that we're kind of just out here. And I was like, I'm so jealous. I've never had that experience. (laughs) But you've had other experiences. Like for me, uh, what I see in movies a lot, and I'm always like, ooh, there's always like a family reunion with a barbecue in the African-American culture or the (laughs) wedding ends with the line where they're dancing. And remember um, that movie with me along um, the best, is it the best man? The best man. The best man ends with this line. Everyone is dancing. The uncle is dancing. Nia is dancing. I just... Like, oh my God, yeah. So <laughs> you're right about that. I do look for those things. And I think like, that's just, um, that's just how we party. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so overwhelm us, please. Okay. <laughs> I also loved that, like one thing that me and my friends talk about all the time is like how much we love when a character in a romance novel is reading and you'll like, they'll talk about, oh, I picked up my Kindle. But in the book, Julian downloads Nina's book on audio. <laughs> and I was like, I've never heard of a character downloaded an audio book. Oh my goodness. It was so good. You know what? Another blogger reviewed the book um, also and noted like, and he they read audio books or they download audio books. And I was like, oh. And so it's like, now you're seeing it like, I guess it's not as common. I, I'm not like, I, I, I wasn't aware but it did it seems like it hit a nerve with people yeah. that he had the audio <laughs> book. And I was like Julian's not gonna read the book <laughs> like he's not gonna sit and read like I know like I I I am pushing against and I know it's not popular but I'm not going to write the hero of everybody's dreams like yeah. he has horn-rimmed glasses and he's reading the book and um, he's good looking and he works out, but he doesn't go to the gym. You, you know, like, uh, he, you know, what, how, who's this person? Yeah. And he's so, he's so sweet and nice and caring and loving. He'll take care of your kids and he'll give you an orgasm and uh, he'll cook you <laughs> breakfast in the morning. I'm like, who are these, who are these guys? I've not met one of those guys. And um, um, if the readers have, and you know, you get the pushback like, well, I'm married to one. Well, good for you. Good for you. <laughs> go, with, go with God. But I, I don't, in my circle, I have not met those guys. I just meet regular guys. And 
you know, some of them would be like, oh, F that, I'm going to download this and listen to it and call it a day. (laughs) I mean, it is reading. So I was like, well, however you consume it, Julian. Exactly. (laughs) I'm an avid audiobook supporter. He puts out his headphones and he listens and and he's good. (laughs) In the book, Julian is hoping to lay low. And it's really through Nina's perspective that we get a glimpse into what dating a celebrity could be like. He really values privacy and the more time they spend together, Nina, who has been suffering a little bit of writer's block, Mm -hmm. is finding the inspiration to write again. As an author, what did you enjoy about writing this author-actor relationship? I liked, I was creating sort of like a fantasy dream team where these two people with different creative experiences could come together to create something new, right? And so he knew the Hollywood part and he had a little understanding about scripts and what works, what doesn't. And he was kind of dabbling with one very shyly himself. And she is like the sort of literary writer who understands plot, character, pacing, and all that that good stuff. And I, I wanted them... I wanted to have scenes in the book where they are actually talking about craft and reviewing and doing edits and putting their heads together and figuring out stuff. I thought that would be fun. Like you see couples on TV all the time, like they're caper, they're bank robbers. They're going to, you know, detonate this bomb together or whatever. They could put their heads together, but this is like just creative writing. It's quiet. It's not, you know, anything sexy, but they're going to sit together and they're going to create something new with their different backgrounds. Um, You know, they're going to collab they're collaborating. I loved that. I Mm -hmm. was like, look at them using their talents and their passions and like blending them together. Yes. (laughs) And just like quietly going through it, like let's review this line. Like I have it make sure like they're editing like one line. I didn't want to go crazy with it. But that there's a scene where they're in the back of the the tell car and she's like pointing out like, no, this is how this line should be. And that was important. Like I wanted to show them working on craft together. Yeah. 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 So your first two books, Exclusively Mm -hmm. Yours and Unconditionally Mine, were Mm -hmm. part of the Kumani Romance series. What was your journey to getting published like? And what was your experiences of writing for Kamani? Like I, so... I am so late to the game. Like I did not pick up my first romance until 2017. And I remember seeing a Kamani in Barnes and Noble before I knew what they were. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered them. I I learned what they were. There's a, there's a podcast called the black romance podcast. That's amazing. And I, I started hearing like she was doing episodes with like Vivian Stevens and, um, Beverly Jenkins and Brenda Jackson. And like one of the guests said, Kamani. And I was like, what is that? And so I got on eBay and I'm like, that was the book that I saw in Barnes and Noble. I didn't know that they had ended at this yes. point. So now I'm like ordering them from eBay like crazy. But I mean, gosh, like what was that experience like of being one of those authors, part of that series? That series came was like a really a gift and um, an experience that helped me 
that launched me out. There would be no Meeting Gonzalez books if Kimani hadn't taken a chance. Because like I said, I was writing uh, women's fiction and that didn't work. And I couldn't get anywhere. Like people were like, I was, agents were like, we love your work. We like this writing, but, 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 but. So finally I thought, okay, I'm going to write something that has a direct market that, because it seemed to me that I was inventing a genre that didn't exist, this women's fiction with um, diverse characters that were also like first generation Americans. Like I was just inventing it apparently the way from going from the feedback. So I went with romance. It's like romances exist. And like one of the things, one of the feedback I got from a manuscript was, well, this is not romance. And if it were romance, blah, blah, blah. And then I just said, you know what? Romance. Okay, fine. Okay. Yeah. So I wrote, I, re- I took the book that I had, I stripped, I took one character from it and I wrote it as a romance. That's the debut. And I was going to publish it independently. I really, because I, from all the research I did, it seemed like romance did not need, you could, you could publish a romance independently and get some traction. You didn't have to have the middlemen. And I was sort of tired of querying, tired of meeting with people. And, but then as in one last hurrah, I said, let me go and check out Harlequin and see, because, um, that they accepted unagented submissions. Like that was the one thing that I knew, like Harlequin accepts unagented submissions for their category lines. If it meets this length, this whatever. And so I just sent it. When it was done, I sent it to them. And I said, if they don't take it, then, you know, I, I'll just do it myself. Um, back then, if you went to the Harlequin website, it said African-American interest Kimani, like when you're submitting. And even though I thought that my first book couldn't do well with Desire, I thought it was a Desire type book, but I went and saw, do they, does Desire have any other um, African-Americans that just happened to meet their criteria? And if they didn't, the answer was no. Like maybe they did. They had Brenda Jackson and that was just one person. <laughs> and I was yeah. like, if they had another person, I, I, I don't know, I'm sorry, but uh, the Brenda was the one that I found. Um, and I was like, those odds are ridiculous. I wasn't trying to, um, break new ground. Really. I just wanted a publisher. Get your book published. Yeah. And I was like, okay, whatever. So African-American interests, one line, Kamani, I sent it to Kamani. There was an editor there who was kind of new, who read it and asked for it. And I was like, fine, that's where I'm supposed to be because, they welcomed it just out of the slush pile. And that meant so much, you know, that meant so much, like you've been struggling to get people to even acknowledge you for so long. And then you just, from the first submission, you get a, a positive response. Everyone loved it there. And they offered me a two book deal that kind of changed everything. And I'm so grateful, but unfortunately before my first book even came out, they announced that they were closing the line. <laughs> That's what I want. I was I was wondering. I'm like, okay, because they both came out, what, in 2018? Yes. Okay, so when you got the deal, were you aware that, like, hey, no. your books are coming out, but, like, no, they, the line's they closing? No, they weren't aware either. They okay. weren't aware. They were just doing their thing. The editors were all working, everyone happy. But I guess maybe the 
the the the the writing was on the wall and I think they signed me and then I think they signed another author and that was it like we were the last two to squeak in so that's why I'm thinking wow I'm so lucky and um I found out on Twitter of all places like there was this big eruption on Twitter that the line was closed yeah are you serious yeah i found that on twitter and so i it, it, oh that know. would suck to be an author in the line <laughs> and find out <laughs> so this, so like, this, what do you mean this is what i write and my book wasn't even out yet so i thought my book is not like that contract is done like i thought it was over so i emailed the, my editor i'm like oh my god okay her name was kayla hernandez she was so nice but kayla what's happening and she was like no no no. we're gonna honor all the contracts and then we're gonna close the line so the books came out just when the line was shutting down so it was bittersweet you know it's kind of weird but um uh, but at least it got two i had two credits like two books published and then i can go from there um, after that, I just took a break from um, writing. I, I figured that um, Kimani had some big stars, right? They had the big heavy hitters in Kimani. And I was the girl who came in after the line <laughs> shut down. Yeah. So I didn't think that there was going to be any more, you know, contracts com- going, coming from Harlequin. I really didn't. Even though they reached, they reached out, they did. But I... I understood that I was like the last hired and first fired. So I kind of took a break. Oh, um, that is horrible. Nadine. I did. No, I did. I was like, okay, I said it just registered to me. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know, I know. I am not the queen. Last of hired, first fired. <laughs> I just figured I I know I have no hard feelings. I was just like, I get it. It's okay. All right. Was there a little um, bit of um, fear? Like, I got in because I submitted to, you know, to this, and they mm-hmm. took me here. And now mm-hmm. that that's going, and I've already looked over here to see what I fit over here, and I'm not mm-hmm. really seeing. I don't see it, yeah. Yeah, there but, was fear, but not only fear, I just kind of in the back of my head, I was like, it's you know, it's over. I get it. Like, I get it that I... I just sort of thank my lucky stars that I could say that I'm a published author. And so I was going to sit down and work on something else and hopefully maybe approach agents with the fact that I am published this time. Like, oh, hey, look, I'm published. Now I have this new manuscript. Like, that's what I was doing. There was this whole time in between where I wasn't really sure. then I attended RWA in NYC in New York City. Um, that was my first RWA. And then it turns out it's like Fox to be the last RWA. <laughs> 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 but I went there and I, um, and it's just sort of very strange. I, I went there to meet with people. I was still a Harlequin author because they included me. I was on the email list. I, I, they included me in all their communications. But I, I didn't have any contracts with them. Um, so I just attended their events and I went and pitched at one of the one of the Kimani authors, Carolyn Hector. She said, look, they're pitching um, for the other lines. Go and pitch over there. And I was like, mm, I don't know what other lines, you know. And she was like, no, no, yeah. just go. And so I, I, I went in there and I sat with Desire. And I just pitched the the book that I was writing, 
I don't even know what I said. It was like all over. That pitch was kind of all over the place, but I had like confidence and, you know, whatever. And then um, I walked out and I never even followed up with them because I really didn't think that they were truly interested. I just thought they were being polite. And, um, And then later, a few months later, that one of the editors that I pitched to, Aaron, emailed me and said, hey, I'd like to see whatever you talked about. Do you remember? Remember? You know, remember yeah. me? And I was like, "What?" <laughs> and, I was a girl at the table. Yeah, she was like, "Hey, um, I'd like to see that thing that you were talking about. If you're still willing to share it." And so, and then it just went really fast from there. So I've seen a, a kind of a lot of div- divide. I don't want to say divided, but like. With Kamani, I've heard the, well, I didn't feel like that we needed to have, but people just feeling like authors were segregated into Mm. this line. But I'm like, well, if I was a new writer and I saw all these other lines and then I saw this one with like women who look like me writing stories and, you know, getting them published, I would feel like, this would be, this would give me hope that like, hey, it, it, it's, pro- it's possibly possible because when you look over here and you don't see that, you're like, okay, maybe that's not possible for me. So, I mean, what, did you have a choice, do you feel like, um, in possibly having written for something else? Or, you know, is that is that mindset, I guess, wrong of like, you are, okay, you're a black woman writing, you're writing for this. Was there an option to have went somewhere else? It, within the category lines? Yeah. I looked at all the category lines and like did this, read the descriptions of each to see which one best matched my book, just right. so to not waste my time. And then the desire really did seem to me like it met. It was like high stakes, luxury. And the first book is about high-end luxury in Miami. And I was like, okay, great glamour parties, all that. But then when you look at their roster, you're like, but who do they publish? And, and you don't see much diversity within it. Then I just thought, okay, um, there's Brenda Jackson there. And she wrote mostly about like, um, a small town, not a small town, but like a Western town with these brothers, this dynasty of brothers. I think her, is her Westmoreland series entirely desire or is it kind of broken up? I don't know if it's um, broken up, but I think like primarily that's a desire line and that does very well. So I thought, well, does it have to be that way? Like with the brothers and the, the dynasties and all that. And I'm like, well, mine does not have that element to it at all. So let me just go with Kimani. Like, it's just, I didn't really think that I thought, sure, I could have submitted to them, but I didn't because I thought, is this even going to work? Like, it probably won't. And I, I really want to make moves that make sense now. I'm not trying yeah. to just, you know. And, uh, but here's the thing with Kimani, though. It's, it did seem that it struggled a little bit for lack of visibility. Um, like you're saying, like you, you yourself had never even heard of them. Um, they were, they were there and 
maybe they weren't as visible as other lines, but I have to say that uh, um, every every line feels that way. Like med- there's a medical line and I'm sure they're like, we don't get enough visibility, yeah. you know what I mean? So it's not, it, it, I feel like there is a big category of romance lines and Desire is one of the biggest. And yeah. then there are the others that um, that just kind of exist, but you have to really make an effort to find out um, where they yeah. are. And yeah. Kamani did fall into that category. And I, I just think, I don't know that, I think like there are like the bigger ones that get a lot of love. And then there are the other ones that don't get too much visibility. And the the authors always feel feel that way about wherever you are. You're like, well, I want more. I want more um, a- advertisement, more, you know, more of a push. I do think that's just the way category romance is in general too. Like it's not trade. And when you see the big promotions and stuff, it's generally for a trade book. Yeah. And I mean, the books come out and they're literally out at the store for a month. Yes. And so like it, what fascinates me is like, I get the books that I get, you know, I get the special edition, I get the the desire. I can pick those up at, you mm-hmm. know, Barnes and Noble or, or the Walmart. But like, if I want, if I forget like, Oh God, like I only have a week left before the, the romance novels that come out in April, that came out in April before they're gone. Yes. Like I got to hurry up and go to the website, you know? So yeah, for those ones that like don't have as much visibility, I think it kind of suffers because you're not like face to face with them every time you, you know, go into Barnes and Noble or something like you have to actively remember to like go on the website. <laughs> yeah. I, at this point, I kind of like celebrate the fact that my book is in the bookstore for that one month, but yeah. then I don't ever talk about it. I, I feel like the sale is an online sale. So it's almost like, oh yeah, cool. It was online. It was in the bookstore for a month, but that's not your where your bread and butter is. It's really pushing the online sale. Online stuff. Yeah. yeah. Thank God for online sale. Yeah. Because <laughs> then, like, because that anyone can. It's always fresh. It's always new. But if it's for bookstore traffic, like, no. So what was so desire is kind of like really glamorous, high stakes. What was kind of the description for Kamani because it has so many authors and no one story feels the same Mm -mm. so what was kind of the description used for it African-American interests (laughs) that's what it was that's it okay Okay. wow (laughs) it really was but um it it had to be affluent there there's always an element of affluence it had to be like by that, I mean, like, they're living, they're big careers, big um, lives. Um, money is not a problem generally in these books. So affluent, sexy, or not, because it could be sweet or sexy. Yeah. It could be. But so long as it was at its core a romance and entertaining and featured people of color and you were in. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm like, I don't think I haven't, I don't think I've read one yet where somebody doesn't go somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Somebody owns a business. (laughs) And I'm just like, no one story feels the same. 
I mean, I know it's all women of color, but like, was that literally the description? <laughs> that was it. <laughs> that was it. Yep. So next week from you, from next up from you, we get what happens in Miami, which is mm-hmm. scheduled for June. Is that still the same? Yes. June, so late, it, I think it's June or July. I'm not really sure. What can you tell us about what happens in Miami? <laughs> what happens in Miami? It feels very so like knowing that you love so farmers now, that feels like such a soap opera title. <laughs> oh my goodness. Listen, the title, the titles, both my titles are generated by the editor and they have a they have a meeting and then they come up with the title you propose your titles i give them my working titles always and they're like no Uh, here's the title (laughs) (laughs) and so um when i came back when they came back with scandal in the vip suite i was like i don't like it i feel like it doesn't say it's like why can't it be more blah 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 i don't know i just it was very different from what i had in mind and um, I don't even remember what I had in mind at this point. But I've, like a day later, I slept on it and said, "I just, I'm just gonna go with it. It's, I, I love it. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it work. It's campy in a way, and I'm gonna make it work." And so ever since then, like I just trust their um, judgment with the titles. And the title did get it a lot of attention. Like it's different, right? Yeah. So it made it stand out a little. So with what happens in Miami, also they picked it. They're like, you know what? People can't travel now. We want Miami in the title. In the title. Yeah. Yeah. And so I was like, okay, so that's what we're going with. And as I market it, that's how I'm going to approach it. They um, they wanted to write, every year we have a big art show in Miami called Art Basel in December. All the celebrities come down and all the art world comes down. They show like very expensive art, very whatever. And I wanted to set a book in that set time frame. But I was afraid that if you tell people, well, it's a book about art, they're going to be like, yawn, boring, right? Like, it sounds boring. And I told a friend, actually, I, I want to write a book about art. And, and he said, that's a boring. <laughs> that's boring. It sounds boring. <laughs> he was like, wait, Frank. <laughs> so I, um, I was like, okay. To counter that, I, I make it. I made it really sexy. Like it's a one night stand. It is also it stays in the world. The celebrities. He is an actor. She's in the, a gallerista in the art world. They come together. They break up. They get back together again. It's all over the place. But the funny part is, when I was researching Art Basel, I came up with a little sort of snippet from a magazine about. Leonardo DiCaprio and how he comes to town every year to do this show. He donates, he donated last time from his private collection for an auction that was going to help um, hurricane victims. And he parties with Kendall Jenner at 4am at Cub Space or whatever. He has five star chefs, Michelin star chefs cooking his dinners. He's like, of course he does. It's party like their eyes on a private jet. He's party like a rock star. And I read that. I was like, oh, I sent it to Aaron, my agent and my editor and said, look, could he make our hero like this type of hero? Because he was something else completely. He was like another type of guy. And then like, look, Leonardo's having the time of his life. And he's an actor. <laughs> he fits the bill. And so we went with a sort of Leonardo-esque type of person, but he he's um he's um a Cuban, Afro-Cuban, 
Okay. An actor. Who, yeah. Yes. He's Afro-Caribbean. <laughs> he ha- he's bringing all of that to it, but he's sort of like um, a very talented actor. He's not a Julian um, type of um, action hero. He's an Oscar nominated type, you know, character, very Leonardo type career, but he um, comes to Miami and he parties and he's just, he enjoys life. And I like a hero who is having it. And I, I don't want, don't give me your tortured, brooding hero. Yeah. <laughs> just, I want, I want so, him to have some fun. Okay? I want him to have fun. I want him to like be charming and enigmatic and, you know, like the, uh, we've, I've had so many, we've read so many brooding heroes. I feel like give me a lively hero. Yeah. You know, <laughs> give me one who wants to enjoy his life. So are you ready for some fill in the sentences? Oh, okay. All right. When I want something new and cute to wear, the first store I go to is? I go to Zara. See this shirt? I Zara. see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Listeners, you can't hear me, but you can't see us, but like, trust me, it's gorgeous. <laughs> I go to Zara and um, here's the thing. Do not make build your your wardrobe in Zara. Go to wherever you go for your basics. Uh, bulk up in basics. I go to J. Crew half the time. They always have a sale. I wait for the sale. Don't buy anything full price. That's that's ridiculous. <laughs> and then like get your jeans or your bottoms or tops or whatever. And then you go to Zara and get like one standout piece and like this top. Or get uh, some sandals you can wear, something trendy that that just elevates your basics. So, you're so can I add style. in, on top of all of the other things you're doing, we need a Nadine Gonzalez YouTube channel <laughs> with <No> shopping. shopping videos. <laughs> yes! <laughs> oh, oh my god, I would love that so much. Like, <laughs> Nadine in the city. <laughs> Let's go shopping. Um, yes, how to put these things together because, yeah, the, Sarah will give you, or H&M, you know, will give you a cool, trendy something to add to your basics and make your, make your outfit, like, sing a little. Okay. The first song on the soundtrack to my life is? The first song, the soundtrack to my life is, and in keeping with world music that we talked about earlier, is Celia Cruz. Um, the song title, I'm butchering it a little, but it's called La Negra Tiene Tumbao. And that means the Black woman has swagger. And the line says, she never st- walks to the side. Like she just she sails in, right? And that's sort of like a song where Celia, who's Afro-Cuban, is like asserting that she is the bomb, right? And she yeah. is a black woman and she has, you know, it going on. And it gives you Beyonce energy. It gives you Toni Morrison energy. Like all these black women who just show up and say, step aside world. Here right. I am, you know? And that's- <laughs> I'm that here and I'm here to show energy. out. <laughs> <laughs> I'm here. Behold. You know, and like, I'm amazing. And I'm willing to share my amazing self with you. Like with that you, is, right? yeah, that's the energy we get from these women. They're not shy about it. 
you get it also from like a Lady Gaga who just shows up and like, I am Gaga. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that. I love that. <laughs> One movie I'll never stop watching is. Okay. So in time, keeping up with the new book, um, What Happens in Miami, I love the remake of um, the Thomas Crown Affair with Rene Russo and Pierce Brosnan, I think. Um, he, I love that movie. I love it so much because it, it had art in it. It was art fraud, art theft, of course. It's a billionaire romance. Thomas Crown is just this big billionaire who has money to, to burn. He's living this big lifestyle, right? And Rene Russo was so glamorous and womanly in that movie. Like it was a time when I watched it in the movie theater, I went alone. Like I, I, it was, I went to the mall, I went shopping and then I went to, I, I caught a matinee and that was like my time to be alone. And um, they, Renee, it was a time that women, mostly in America, a lot like to dress down like they not down casual but like young like older yeah. women want to look like their teenage daughters sparkly jeans ripped you know all the things and Renee Russo just showed up like in her outfits in her hair she was so womanly and I was like yes that's the goal like here on out so, like I just want to celebrate like being older and growing up and not trying to like turn back time yeah, and looking yeah. like a teenager forever. Like, and she sort of seduced the billionaire. She wasn't a wallflower about it at all. At some point she shows up in like a naked dress that she's wearing practically nothing. And she dances with him and she's just very self-assured and comfortable in her skin. Um, there's no scene in the movie where she's crying about going old. You know, like usually yeah. as a woman movie, she's like, I'm old now, huh? <laughs> crying with her friends. Like there's none of that. And so I really, really loved, I love Thomas Crown Affair. And then it has this great score at the end with Sting does windmills of your mind. And that, to get that song, you have to buy the whole album. And that's why <laughs> it's great. It's like rock the hell out of wherever you are in life. Yes. <laughs> like just own it. You know, just, not everybody gets to be whatever age you are, you exactly. know. Exactly. And oh. just look around for the people who are doing it like right and take get a page from their book. Yeah. My category romance thesis statement is. Wow, that's gonna be a long thesis statement. It's about <laughs> it's modern love stories with you know ambitious driven characters of um caribbean american and latin descent and just joy joyous yes yeah we need more joy don't we we need more joy yeah and, and like <laughs> fantasy like things are happening and um whether or not it makes, you know, whether or not it's plausible, but it's like a fantasy and we, we can go with it. Yeah. All right. Rapid fire. 15 mm. years from now, you're writing your memoir. What's the title? <laughs> 15 years from now, I'm, I'm going to write like, it's going to be like an, an Aisnin type of thing. It's good, the early years. And yeah. then 
Miami. It's going to be the Paris years. There's going to be a time where I like get a beautiful Paris apartment and I'm living there. It's just going to have to be divided in chunks of time. And I'll be a new, a reincarnation of Nadine every time. The reincarnation, the reincarnation series by Nadine Gonzalez. Exactly. I love it. She's a woman who reinvents herself. I want to cram as many lives in this one life, you know, like after this, I'm just waiting for my kids to go to college and then it's on. I know I have like, I have three and I love so much that they're still young. Like my oldest is 12. My youngest is five, Mm -hmm. but man, I'm like, I can't wait to like, just be able to go on a trip and not have to lug the whole family who doesn't really want to go. Yeah. <laughs> they all have their opinions and you know, what kind, what is a good time or where we're going or that. Yeah. I understand. It's a lot. <laughs> it's a lot. If you could meet one author dead or alive, who would it be? And what's one question you'd ask? You know what? I am going to go with who do I want to meet dead or alive? I, I I would like to sit with some of the great romance writers. Okay. And it, it I know it's one, but maybe I could have a round table so they could just give me their how are they so prolific? How yeah. that's like it's very hard to reinvent the wheel at each time. So how are they so prolific? How did um, Brenda Jackson do it? How did Beverly Jenkins do it? How does Nora Roberts and Deborah McCumber? They are so prolific. And in the end, I would love that too. When yeah. you go to Barnes and Nobles and you see like there's this whole um, entire shelf, shelf sometimes. for one author. And you're like, excuse me, is this the aisle for this author? Just put her <laughs> name up there. Um, that's amazing. I'd like to see. I'd like that. Yeah, I wonder I wonder the same thing. I'm like, golly, Debbie Maycomber has like over 200 books. Yes. How do you come up with over 200 ideas? <laughs> How are you even typing up all these stories? Like, oh, oh my God, I want to know what they're doing really. Honestly. Yeah. <laughs> you decide you want takeout for dinner. Mm-hmm. Where are you ordering from and what's your order? Okay. So with takeout, if it was simply on a simple takeout my order, it's just simple cheese pizza that I'm going to have with wine. I think that's perfect. But in reality, we live right across around the corner from a, a Latin cantina called um, Latin American Grill. And we're going to order um, pollo a la plancha, <laughs> white rice, uh, black beans, tostones, Adoros and a bag of Cuban bread. Like that's what we're actually ordering for, for real. <laughs> At least once a week, we're ordering dinner for Latin American bread. And my little son, who's about the age of your son, he's six now. But when he was three, I would um, I didn't cook dinner, and I, you know, I I, I hadn't gone to the supermarket. And I said, look. You're in luck today because you're going to get macaroni and cheese for dinner. Yay, right? As a kid, <laughs> I would have loved macaroni and cheese. I, yeah. I have immigrant parents. They were always making like elaborate meals. 
my friends got sloppy joes. They got, you know, blah, blah, the blah. Cool I, food. Yeah, I never got any of that cool stuff. So I thought I was being a cool mom, like mac and cheese for dinner. And he was like, no, I mean, he was three. I said, Aro. And <laughs> like he wanted rice. And he never in his head, rice, a beans. And she was like, are you 30? Like, what was this? Get it together, mom. This like, is unacceptable. Yeah, I'm like no, no, that's not what's happening tonight. Mac and cheese isn't where it, where it's at tonight. Okay, no. get the rice and beans. That's where we eat. He's very Caribbean in the, in that. Like uh, Caribbean people need rice and beans as a starter, and that's how the conversation starts. What's one hill you will wholeheartedly die on? In pop culture wise. Anything. I, I, oh, okay. Idris Elba is the next James Bond. And Isn't he just? And I don't care. <laughs> They're telling me he's old. I like, I don't care. Old I and don't. fabulous. Yeah. Okay. Then I can't, ba- I can't then tell. Bond is old. Bond is a person and he's aging. So like, I can deal with that. I don't know what the problem is. As if all the other former Bonds were not middle-aged men themselves. Yes. You know? <laughs> They were not like Sean Connery, middle-aged. They, I, they, even when they were young, they looked old. So right. it just is just fine. <laughs> it just is the next That one. is one gorgeous human being, okay? Yes! I don't know why we haven't made this happen already. Like, I know! Stop waiting. I feel like they're waiting out the clock. Like, enough. I don't care how old he gets. He'll just call the rock Dwayne Johnson on the phone <laughs> and get into shape. He'll get him into fighting shape and he'll go in and film these movies. That's it. Oh my gosh. Even his voice, like he was the voice of, I can't remember the tiger's name on the jungle book, but I just remember being like, that is Idris fucking Elba. That is his voice. <laughs> yeah. Come on. Why are you making was- us? I mean, they now they're floating the name of Reggae John for, of um, the Duke of Hastings fame, right? But I'm like, great, I love him, but I'm still with Idris. Like, I did not, you're not going to bait and switch the British yeah. man on us. Like we said, <laughs> Idris, okay? Give us I remember seeing that, like, Idris Elba, consider for James. I was like, oh, he would be perfect. Yeah, I think they're making a big mistake. I think there'd be so much interest in that film. People would see it just to see how this is going down. Yeah, how it's going to work. Yeah. Yeah. And lastly, pretend we're creating a time capsule that we're Mm. filling with timeless romances that it just discovered 100 years from now. And we've asked you to put in a book. What romance novel would you put in? I'm going to slip in my book. Yours, <laughs> yours, and yeah. one other. Okay, Scandal in the VIP is definitely going in, and then one other. You know what? I'm gonna slip in, um, Alisa Alisa Cole's here, a a princess in theory, because yes. I thought, yeah, I thought what she did here was very creative, right? And when I talk about the romance, should have an element of fantasy in it. Like she just sort of created a whole other kingdom. Um, and she created that world with all these um, royals of different sort of walks of life and stripes. So kudos to her for that. I think this one, the Reluctant Royal series, was inve- was imaginative 
I think. Yeah. I love that entire series. And I have to say, like, my two favorite books out of the series are actually the novellas. But, like, I I think she just, she is really what swayed me on novellas because I I hadn't been, like, a big short story person until Mm -hmm. I started reading novellas by her. And I'm like, gosh, she just kills it. Like, every misconception I had heard about short stories before reading them, like, you're not going to be satisfied. I'm not going to get enough. I'm like, have you read an Alyssa Cole novella? <laughs> They're so good. Yeah. So I, I feel like, oh, yeah, sure. A lot of, a lot of things are not done right, right, right? Like a, a lot of short stories are just like a chapter that somebody chopped up. That's true. But then that's just not a good short story. Like there are short stories that are all inclusive. They give you the world. And that's the writer's job to make it happen. It's not easy because... Um, but if, when you get a good one, it's, it's really good. Can we, yeah. can we slip in? There's this other, one of my other favorite books. We romance. can slip in whatever you <laughs> want. <laughs> my other one is totally different. This one is, um, Red, White, and Royal Blue. Okay. By Casey McKin. This is like, sort of like a liberal fairy tale. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't lean left politically, you're probably not going to enjoy this book because honestly, it's like. <laughs> Liberals win, and, uh, <laughs> and they win big. But uh, uh, you have a female president who, um, from Texas who's a Democrat, and her son. The whole book is narrated by um, the one um, guy, and he goes. It gets very. Uh, it's very modern and hip when they're hanging out with their friends. And then it gets excessively romantic when they're writing love letters to each other, the Prince of England. And it just had so much in it. And when it ends, it just ends with this flourish. Everybody wins and everyone's happy. And I, that book makes me happy. It does. Well, we are adding it into the time capsule. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so where can everybody follow you online? Follow me at um, my website, Nadine-Gonzalez.com. And from there, you can get the links to go on Instagram and on Facebook. I'm most happy on Instagram. So if anyone's, but that's not, not everyone's there. So if, you know, some people can't take it or hate it. But I'm, that's where I'm at mostly. That's where I put most of my energy. So. And I love it. I love pictures of the drinks that you're having <laughs> and your fabulous tops. Like, yes, her Instagram will be listed down below. If you're not following her, you should be. <laughs> you should. We're having a time. Yes, I, I have so much ambition for that Instagram account. I really want to create sort of like a lifestyle blog, but the lifestyle um, gram, but writer focused yeah you know what I mean so um that's where I love photography I love taking pictures it's not a hardship for me it's not being fake or you know everything that people hate with Instagram it's just that if I have it and I like it I should whether or not I think it's going to get likes or not like if I like it I'm putting it I'm putting it out there yeah that is the mentality that everybody on the gram needs to have yeah yeah (laughs) That way, you're you're gonna have less followers, but the followers who come aboard eventually, you get a sense that maybe they do just like you and your work. But if you yeah. do the opposite and say like, "Well, cats are popular," I'm just gonna put my cat on the Instagram. It's hard. Well, you know, if you stop doing that, 
you may lose out. So I, I, I generally love photography. I love magazines. Instagram is like going through a magazine all the time and yeah. seeing new things. And, and that's what I get from it. I don't do the, I don't get FOMO from watching other people's vacations. I, I don't care. You know, like it's, it's, I don't use it to tear myself down. Just I use it to celebrate. I love hearing you say that because I just had this conversation with some friends recently mm-hmm. about just how like, exhausting people are becoming. And, you know, I have friends that are creators and they're just like, it's really affecting their mental health. And I'm like, I've been there. Sometimes you have to like, just take a step back because it should not be a thing that affects your mental health. No, it just should not be. Mm -mm. It shouldn't have to like, you can like, you can curate what you see. If something is bothering you to the point of like, you're now like internalizing that and like thinking that it has, you're taking things personal. I'm like, don't see it. Do what you got to do. So you don't see it. Exactly. If that's not for you. and, And I don't just randomly follow back anymore. I used to, but then there's all so many games about who follows who and then they unfollow. And once yeah. I figured that out, I was like, okay, now I only follow you if, if I go to your page and I like what I see and I want to see it when I scroll randomly during the day, if not, then I'm not going to do it. If, it, if I'm not buying what you're selling then no, no, we're not going to, yeah. we're not doing that. And it's okay to not follow people back. Mm-hmm. It's okay. You know, uh, I don't, I just think that there it's such a crazy environment that I'm it's like it's a crazy environment and I feel like when I hear people say well I'm never going to be as pretty as that girl my answer is no you're not and let it go because you're not born in that person's body you are born you and yeah. everyone wherever you turn, there's always going to be someone better looking. What are you going to do? Throw yourself yeah. on the cliff? That is not <laughs> your problem that this girl that you went to high school with looks good in a bikini. Gay her. Do you even want to wear a bikini on Instagram? Probably not. So like, right. let it go. <laughs> like, yeah. Let it go. Like, Don't compare yourself. I, I just want to spread that gospel. You know, like you have your own life, put the blinders on and run your race. and. Um, use social media for the things that inspire you and if it doesn't just no keep on scrolling yes keep on scrolling or log out yes put it down when you get to the point I mean that means less social media and go into the world and do something that you enjoy that makes you feel good about yourself absolutely oh that's so true. Because we all have gifts and we all have things that were that are worth celebrating. And some of them are not Insta-worthy things, you know? Yeah. Like, if you're a kind person with your friends, how does that translate into a photo? Then it's just not for you. Let it go. Yeah. And I'm always like, I know what life was like before social media exactly. became a thing. Yeah. Like, so I, I really, especially like 2020 and the disaster that it was, I was like, why am I on this so much, (laughs) you know? So I've like really shortened it down, but yeah, I believe in just curate and curate the shit that you see. You don't have to see everything because I mean, people don't intentionally flash things to make you feel some type of way, but like, 
it can, it can feel like that. And I'm just, you know, I see a lot of people that are like, I'm taking breaks, I'm taking breaks. And I'm like, that's good. But it just should not be sucking that much energy out of people. Yeah. If you do find that you're reaching for your phone and scrolling all the time. And I did feel with 2020, I, I think we were also manic. We had to to just, we were on social media all the time. But I learned quickly that Twitter is not my favorite um, social media place. I go there, I mean, if you're not on Twitter, you can miss some information, like they're announcing uh, a pitch um, contest or- some, Or that a line is closing. That your line is closing, you're, you're losing your publisher. Um, I'm so mad about that, okay? <laughs> <laughs> or, or there's always some um, blow up on romance landing. You want to know what's going on, so you're not clueless. But once I go in there, scroll, 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 read, 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 like, like, comment, and, and get then, off, and get off because it's just not. I feel like it's about. I get really angry after uh, if I'm on Twitter too long. Like people are saying the most outrageous things, and suddenly you want to fight. And I'm like, wait a minute, I don't know these people. I don't yeah. care if some girl who has published someplace said something. Like, good, I'm sorry, that's her problem. I'm yeah. out, you know? So I just go in there to keep in touch with the other authors, and then I leave. That's how yeah. I think social media, you have to limit it for yourself. Oh, yeah. Uh, I think Twitter has... God, it has the potential to do some really great things. I mean, I've seen some really wonderful conversations on there, but it also sometimes it can feel like this mob mentality. And it's like, yo, you can only put so much wording in a tweet. Yes. (laughs) Are we really going to gang up on somebody (laughs) based off of like less than 200 words, you know? But so you got to, you got to be. I think you do have to be careful. And I think that's why some people just choose to not go there at all. And like, yeah, the romance community is huge <laughs> on Twitter. So, I mean, it does feel like, let me check it periodically to see what's going on. Who has a book coming out that they haven't yes. announced somewhere else or whatever. So yeah. it, it can do some really great things, but it is, yeah. I, I think like all social media, like you just have to sometimes take a step back and like, reevaluate what you're doing there and then making sure that like the stuff that you see isn't bringing you down isn't making you angry um and you don't have to jump in on everything no you don't have to weigh in or just comment on things that genuinely if that's not the the flag you're carrying through like like there are some things that touch you to the core and you're like no i want to weigh in on it but if it's just that someone said something and everyone thinks it's awful and we're going to go after that person, I don't care about someone. I don't. Like, okay, go with God. I really don't. I'm not going to ruin my day and get all exercised because someone said or wrote a book that that doesn't, like, that's not really my cross to bear. Somebody else yeah. might want to go in there and fight that fight. But not everything is about us and we don't have to make it about us. Because that's the worst. Like (laughs) when you get so invested in something on social media, like where you're literally mad, I've had to tell myself, this is not real life. Like these are (laughs) not people that I'm going to go run into at the grocery store. Exactly. (laughs) Like this is online. (laughs) And you get so angry with it because everybody else is angry. But sometimes it's good. Like, um, 
like I watched the Oprah interview with Meghan Markle and Harry, and then I went rushing on oh, Twitter because everyone was like angry, and I was like, yes. I want to be angry like, too. <laughs> we need to ride for Megan, okay? Yes. I'm riding for Megan. <laughs> I knew where to get to find the angry people. They were right there on Twitter. It was like Twitter was, I appreciated Twitter that night because I was like, yes. And um, when as season eight of Game of Thrones ending, everyone pissed off with the ending. Okay, they were on Twitter too. <laughs> So I love time. when we show up. I mean, I love when we really show up. <laughs> I know, exactly. You have those moments where you're For like, okay, we're going to be too much. Right? Yes. We're going to be too much on this one. I'm going to stay away. But like, we're going to ride for Megan. So like, where's everybody tweeting? <laughs> what is everyone saying? Like, I wanted to know, is everyone seeing this? And yes, they were. And the responses were great. And I'm like, yes, Megan. I'm, I'm. Yeah, I'm team Megan all the way. I don't I don't care what people say. Yeah. My favorite thing about it is that somebody on Twitter is gonna take parts of an interview and like put a beat with it. Yes! It's gonna be, <laughs> it's gonna be like this the one minute song. Yeah. <laughs> <It's coming. laughs> and then there was all the Oprah memes that came out right away, like Oprah yes. going, What? Are you like, serious? Yes. Who's having that conversation? <laughs> her garden just sitting there with her glasses like who curls blowing in the wind yes. <laughs> the billionaire that she is just like who's having that conversation when uh, megan said when she said she watched the little mermaid and ariel got the prince but had to lose her voice but then she got her voice back i was like that's you megan yes that was you our little mermaid that's right <laughs> listen harry wanted to get out of that palace for the longest time like people don't know like harry was partying in vegas that was his life he is probably happy he found the opportunity yeah. to like okay well okay bye we're going to live in la they're such, the such a cute couple they're always like holding hands and <laughs> oh they're so cute <laughs> i don't know if they're just so media savvy too like they know like when the cameras are on it's like action and she's like yeah. smiling they're holding hands they're prime time ready like they're ready they are this couple <laughs> they're dressed their clothes fit them impeccably they are ready he's roguish with his beard and his whatever uh, yeah, they're giving us, um, they're giving us entertainment. Like, I, yeah, that's all I need from Harry and Meghan. That's like, all we need. That's all we need. <laughs> we don't know that. We are rooting for Harry and Meghan. Yes. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for everyone else. William, Kate, everyone. Sorry. <laughs> I think Kate is absolutely beautiful, but I, I have been like, I've never heard you have an opinion on anything, but I mean, I think you know, some people you come into that role and it's like, I'm here to do my yes. role. You yes. know? And she's I'm like, okay. Yes. She's she understands she's not supposed to have opinions on anything. So she's just like she goes and does this public appearances, smile, and that's it. Like she's not rocking the boat at all. She's going to be future queen maybe someday. So she yeah. really wants to um uh, preserve that. And she she was groomed for that since childhood, but you, Megan is an American kid who wanted to be an actress who was doing all these things. And after a while, maybe she would do it for a bit, but it was going to get old eventually. Yeah. It's not her tradition 
to uphold the crown. Like, this is the thing. Everyone's so upset because it's like, how dare you? You have to uphold the crown. She doesn't. Like, <laughs> Megan's like, look, I used to bust tables. I was a yes. waitress. I mean, I'm not worried about <laughs> upholding the crown. I'm not going to be disrespectful. My mama raised me right. I'm not going to yeah. be disrespectful, but like, yeah, she's like, What's I, it is for she me? valued independence. She valued yeah. independence. So You're not going to ask this American girl to suddenly come. And, and maybe Harry should have um, they th- should have thought of that, like, long term. But, yeah, it wasn't going to work out that way. Yeah. Mm-mm. And it's, I feel like they're, I hope they have a chance here. I hope they're happy. I do, too. And I can't wait for the new baby. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it has been so much fun chatting with you thank you so much for letting me start my day off with you (laughs) yes this has been great i enjoyed it so much talking about books and culture and sex in the city getting to know you now things make a lot a lot of sense Well, Sarah and I will chat with you all in our next episode. Down in the show notes, we will have links to everywhere where you can find Nadine Gonzalez. Tell us again, when does um, What Happens in Miami release? I believe it's a July release, and that means it's coming out late June from from Harlequin Desire. Okay, we will make sure that we have links to pre-order and all of that in the show notes as well. And we will chat with you all later. 